Hello, everybody, and welcome to Episode 7 of Adam Learns Random Stuff. Today, I'm speaking with Sabina Brennan. Sabina is a former colleague at the Trinity College Institute of Neuroscience. She's also a former actor on RTE's Fair City, and she is a neuroscientist and a researcher and an author of a book called Beating Brain Fog. So today, we're going to talk about COVID pandemic-related brain fog and what that means to us. So welcome, Sabina. Thank you so much for being on with me today. And how are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you so much for inviting me on, um, Adam. And I love the title of your podcast, Adam Learns Random Stuff. I love that. Learning learning actually is one of the best things that you can do for your brain health, um, even if you have brain fog, you know, and I, I'm absolutely passionate uh, about you know, raising awareness amongst people, the importance of learning, because learning, you know, neuroplasticity, uh, if people aren't sure of the brain, I have never heard of it, the brain has this incredible capacity to adapt and change in response to our environment, and it can grow new connections um, uh, in the brain. And um, it really just describes the, the brain's ability to change with learning. But the more connections in your brain you have, the better your brain will function and the healthier your brain will be. And actually, it can really help with um, with brain fog. So uh, I love anybody who wants to keep learning. And it doesn't have to be academic stuff. Like, I love that. Learn random stuff, anything that takes <laughs> you fancy. And actually, here I am. You see, you'll never never get a word in edgeways here with me, Adam. Um, I know. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> we make good podcast guests. Did you know that curiosity enhances learning? So if that you makes are, sense. yeah, if you are naturally curious about something, your capacity to learn about it is enhanced, right? That makes perfect sense. Um, but what's really interesting is even if you stop engaging with the subject matter or whatever it is that you are naturally curious about, the enhanced learning continues for a period afterwards. So I've like, I did a podcast on this where I just said, teachers, take note, let kids, in, you know, engage their natural curiosity and then say, right, guys, now we're going to learn theorems. <laughs> You know, uh, um, yeah, yeah. I love, I love curiosity. I love people who want to just keep learning things, and it doesn't matter whether it's random, crazy facts or whatever. Well, it's it, you know, and and the randomness is certainly curiosity is one of my defining characteristics, um, and it comes up in a weird way in one of my other podcasts when I'm talking about meditation. And there's this concept of the monkey mind, and the monkey mind is a curious mind too. Mm -hmm. So I totally understand that. And it related to the topic we're going to discuss today. In terms of the pandemic, I found a big shutdown of curiosity at the beginning, because I was just done. My brain had had experienced so much stress, so much concern, so much anxiety, and so much work. You know, my work was very stressful at the time of the onset of the pandemic. And I was just dealing with so many things that by the time the end of the day came, I had no curiosity. I had no ability to even really feel like I wanted to learn anything. I couldn't even watch a new TV show or read a book for pleasure because my brain was just wiped out. And I think that is something that 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 kind of brain fog, I think, is 
not often talked about. Yeah, I think a lot of experience, you, you know, what you've just described there reflects a lot of experiences that people have had. And in fact, actually, what I would say is your brain was probably full. It couldn't take in any more information. And it was, I would have suggested that actually it's a resource issue. So I think there's a number of reasons why people have been feeling that brain fog. And for anybody who's not kind of familiar with the term, I use brain fog as an umbrella term to describe, I suppose, what more technically or from a research or even clinical perspective might be described as cognitive dysfunction. So generally speaking, it means that, you know, feeling a bit foggy, uh, a lack of mental clarity, having Mm -hmm. trouble focusing, um, having trouble paying attention, you know, like actually just sustaining attention. As you just said there, you couldn't even watch a TV show. You know, some people just Mm -hmm. couldn't even read beyond a sentence. Their attention was gone. But also another type of attention, which is um, selective attention. So actually having a difficulty in, um, in, in shutting out irrelevant information and noises, et cetera, you know. So in the past, if you've good attention, you can focus on your work and the radio could be blaring, et cetera, but people struggling with that. Problems with memory, you know, people forgetting things or forgetting to do things. Uh, Problems with learning is classic, you know, an inability to take in new information um, because that's what learning is. And it's actually really just Mm -hmm. the first step in the memory making process. You learn something and then it becomes a memory in a sense. Uh, A general slowing is another thing that people experience and and we refer to that as processing speed, but a general slowing in terms of it feels like it just takes such a long time for you to kind of really get what it is someone just said, process it, and then formulate an answer. Um, So that real sort of slowing. And then language difficulties are really quite um, common. So that regular thing that we all experience, like word finding, but also word substitution, putting in the wrong word, um, for the word that you mean to say. And then a real loss of, what would I call it? So where your language doesn't seem to flow as well as it ordinarily wo- would or is not as rich as it ordinarily mm-hmm. would. So you really just feel like you're performing under par. And that real sense, I think, and, and, and I do write about this in my book, a sense that you've lost yourself because they yeah. are all the things that define who we are. Um, you know, we are we are our brain. Number one, I would just say that, um, you know, sorry, if I swap my kidneys with you or, or vice versa, you're still you. I'm still me. If I give right. you my heart, it's the same. If I give you my brain, you become me. And if you give me your brain, I become you. But we're just in different bodies. So you are your brain. And it's, you know, it's a combination of your genetics, all your life experiences, um, you know, um, everything. And, and that's all sort of in in the patterns of your brain. So when our patterns of behavior change, we still start to you know kind of lose our sense of self and other people start to go well hold on a second who are you you know because you'll say things like you know um you know Adam's always really sharp you know and and he gets things really quickly and if you stop doing that then well that's a bit of an essence of you or if someone's already you know always the first one with a quick quip and and, you know a sense of humor and if that's gone well then that's not really them anymore, you know? So it, it really kind of has quite um, an impact on people. And um, I think one of the big reasons behind that, you did touch on one already, which is chronic stress. And, and I can kind of come back to that in a minute. But I think, so chronic stress and poor sleep are going to impair um, your cognitive function. They'll give you uh, they'll give you brain fog because um, 
Uh, they, you know, sleep is essential for um, for good brain function and stress interferes with brain function. It interferes with your ability to learn, to remember and to concentrate. But I think there's one factor that people have not taken account of in terms of the pandemic. And I think it's a critical factor uh, in terms of giving rise to brain fog pandemic or pandemic brain fog. So I'm talking about just the brain fog that people are experiencing who haven't had COVID. Long COVID, people who have persistent symptoms of long COVID, brain fog is as common as a persistent cough. So right. that, but that's sort of something different. And I can talk about that if we have time, but I'm just talking about those of us who just for the last year feel our brains are mm-hmm. not working as they, they used to be. And you're right at the start, it was particularly, um, particularly awful and shocking. Um, I think the main reason for that is um, if, you know, pre-pandemic, 40% of our behaviors were uh, routine. They were ha- habitual. Mm unconscious behaviors by definition. Now, the reason so many of our behaviors have to be unconscious, and a lot of people, we hear a lot of people saying, oh, we live too much of our lives on autopilot and it's important that we live present in the moment. It is, of course, but we have to be able to live certain amount, proportion of our time on autopilot because our brain has very limited resources. It weighs only 2% of your body and it consumes 25% of the nutrients circulating at any one time. They're the fuel for your brain. So in order to work efficiently and effectively, it's got to make um, efficient use of the resources and it has to make decisions around what they're used for. And so what your thinking part of your brain does, the crinkly bit that most of us think about when we are imagining the brain, um, that's very resource heavy. That uses up the most fuel. Right. And so what it does is, so then there's two other unconscious parts of your brain, uh, your emotional brain and your brain stem. So your brain stem is responsible for all the stuff that keeps you alive that you don't have to think about. Breathing, <laughs> heart rate, blood pressure. Basically, right. if your brain stem isn't work, you're you know, if you're it's dead. damaged, you're dead unless you yeah. have access to a life support machine, as most right. of us know from ER and such programs. <laughs> the next part of the brain to evolve is, um, you know, in general terms, called the emotional brain. It's called the limbic system, and it yeah. houses the centers of your brain involved in emotion, fear, memory, and learning as well. Um, a part of the brain called the hippocampus. And then the thinking part of the brain evolved later. And and really, that's the part of the brain that kind of really characterizes humans, you know, what sets us apart um, from other animals. So the emotional brain and the brainstem, they're they're unconscious and their uh, fuel requirements are much less than that of the thinking brain. And so the Thinking brain constantly scans for patterns in our behavior, looking for behavior it can automate and hand over responsibility to uh, the limbic brain, to a part of the brain called the basal ganglia. Mm-hmm. And basically, so the kind of patterns I'm talking about are, you know, full blown patterns of behavior. You know, your alarm right. goes off, you get up, you go, you have a pee, you brush your teeth, you yep. have a shower, yep. have your breakfast. For most people, most of the time, you know, say you get up at 7 a.m., it could be 10 a.m. before you actually have a real conscious uh, <laughs> No, do you know what I mean? You yeah, no, I might say hi to people and you have a cup of coffee or whatever, right. you know? Well, that makes a lot of sense. You know, it's it's interesting as you were talking, I thought of a number of different things. One of which is that like, I can't tell you the number of times I've gotten in my car to drive somewhere and ended up driving halfway to work before I realized I was going the wrong way. Absolutely. That's like dead on automated behavior. It is automated and, behavior. Absolutely. And it's interesting, you know, when I was going through that initial um, stress and 
processing fatigue. You know, I, I work in technology, so I'm thinking, hey, my CPU is overloaded. Yes, it's overheated. It can't absolutely. do anymore right now. That's it. But one of the one of the things I got really into um, at that time was mountain biking. And, I, and it sounds strange, but actually when I was mountain biking, I realized that, and this happened several times, if I, you know, and I tend to go pretty fast and I somewhat aggressive. And, you know, if I start thinking too much, if I start using that processor in that way, I crash. Yes, and I absolutely. Get hurt, absolutely. You know, but if I, if I, if you trust Just your brain, see what's in front of me, use that part of my brain, a yeah. different sort of processor to see what's happening, to respond to stimuli and be in the moment. Yeah. And that was a really important part. It was actually, you have to be in the moment there. Cause if you don't, you crash and get hurt. Absolutely. You have to respond in that way. And I would find so much mental relief just by spending 40 minutes doing that. Oh, uh, you know, it's it one was... of the things that I suggest to people. So you're doing two things that help to alleviate brain fog. Um, exercise is one of the best things that you can do for your brain. You, your brain, you know, it needs a really healthy cardiovascular system in order to function properly and get the oxygen and nutrients it needs. Right. Um, number that fuel, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Get absolutely. the fuel and use the fuel. You got to get the fuel and use the fuel. And then um, also on top of that, exercising has an extra uh, couple of bonuses, actually. It releases serotonin, you know, releases those mm -hmm. feel-good hormones and you get a little bit of a high after it, which is good, you know, in a time of stress, but also it releases a chemical, a chemical called brain-derived neurotrophic factor, BDNF. And um, you hit on one of my favorites. You know, that was <laughs> one of the things that I love to talk about and think about when I was studying this stuff. So, well, yeah. it's released, you'll know. My it's favorite. Re it's released with exercise and I just call yep. it miracle growth for the brain because it mm -hmm. actually makes the brain more fertile and encourages yep. the growth of those connections that you want and brain cells. So exercise is brilliant for that. The second thing that I often suggest to people for, you know, um, the best stress buster on the planet um, really is having fun uh, and being lost mm -hmm. in the moment. Um, so mindfulness, you mentioned you've done podcasts on mindfulness. Um, mindfulness is great. There's a lot of, um, you know, research supporting its brain benefits. Not everyone can do, and, and people often confuse mindfulness with, you know, you know, sitting down and meditation and controlling your thoughts, etc. You know, and as you know, that's not what it is. But what I yeah. try to explain to people is that, you know, so if you so essentially when you're cycling cycling and not engaging your thinking brain you are present in the moment you are have a having a meditative experience because you are just purely in there and so i say to people find something that you love that thing where you lose yourself because I, I i it sounds funny but i always think you got to lose yourself to find yourself, you know? So if you lose yourself from the world around you, that's where you find your joy, yourself, yeah. the thing that makes you happy. So it can be anything. It could be painting a picture. It could be gardening, anything. It could be singing. It could be singing in a choir, anything where you, you enjoy it so much that you don't think of anybody else. And often people have stopped doing those things. And particularly during the pandemic, right. people stopped doing those things. Um, or they've got on the roller coaster of life and don't have time for that real sort of restorative fun. Uh, you know, yeah, they might have time to go out for dinner with friends or, you know, go to a game. But this is different. This is very, very naturally, intrinsically uh, restorative. And, um, uh, I say to people, look, if you haven't done anything like that for a long time, go back to when you were a kid. What was the thing that you used to do where your mother would say, I've just called you three times. Did you <laughs> not hear me? You know, because you were right. so in right. there. 
Yeah. So in there. So that's what you need to find. And I also think it's a brilliant escape um, from the pandemic. You know, a lot of us are spending 24-7 with people maybe we love dearly, but whom we only <laughs> spent two hours, you know, waking hours a day with and then the weekends. Like that's a stress on any relationship, but nobody else. You've got a room inside your head that nobody else can go. So even if you're in a cramped uh, apartment and on top of each other. You can go inside your head, do that activity that you're engaging in. And it's a, it's another room and it's a wonderful restorative room. Um, but I know I talk way too much, but I do want to finish, go back to where, um, to go back to where I was talking about uh, the brain automating uh, yes. behavior. So basically, you know, a year ago, certainly in the country I live in, I I, I don't know um, for sure um, about, you know, your listeners, but basically a year ago, we were all told to down tools and go home and self-isolate and figure out how to work from home and, you know, get on with life. So essentially overnight, everybody's routines were completely disrupted yeah. and everybody's aware of that, but I don't believe that they were aware how much pressure that actually puts on your brain. Mm -hmm. So instead of like the best thing that people could have done was just continue with their um, existing routine, you know, right. but do it at home. Um, but most people actually for the first lockdown sort of treated it a bit like the Christmas holidays or summer holidays. <laughs> and they started staying up late watching Netflix and having a few drinks and kind of getting up at whatever time they felt like because they didn't have to make the train in the morning. And that's a bad move. And also on top of that, um, people didn't even establish regular patterns, so, you know, right. so they might get up at 10 on one morning and 8am and maybe they're homeschooling for half an hour and then swapping homeschooling with partners and all those different things. So your your brain is constantly scanning for patterns, but it couldn't find any. So you got rid of ah. your almost 40% of your uh, automated behavior. So your brain is under stress. It really hasn't got the resources to be thinking about everything. And we were making it think about everything. Oh, what time will I do the kids? What time will I do that piece of work? Oh, I right. when when will I fit in my emails? Whereas they were things we just sort of did automatically. So you have a double whammy. You have uh, your old routines are gone, putting extra stress on your resources, and we behaved erratically. So the the brain couldn't identify new patterns, except unfortunately a couple of patterns that are really bad. In that people were opening alcohol rather early in the evening. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And so a lot of people actually developed a drink habit, you know, that every evening they were kind of six o'clock. I've had enough. I'm having a drink. So your brain hopped on. Well, there's a there's a behavior that I can that I can uh, uh, that I can automate. And people find they're just opening the alcohol, you know, on school nights and all the rest that they, they right. never would. So the solution is really, really simple. Just reintroduce all your own routines. And I've been suggesting people I give a lot of corporate wellness talks and. Uh, this topic is just in huge demand, you know, for people, you know, employers worried about their employees at home and they've no way of kind of really ensuring that the employees are doing OK, you know, from right. a distance. But I have been suggesting that, um, you know, that people introduce a fake commute. So get up in the morning and <laughs> um, go for a walk around your block, go for a walk for one kilometer or one mile or, or, or whatever. But get up, have your shower, you know, get dressed into work clothes, go yeah. for a walk and then actually put boundaries on when you're working and do take a lunch break. Um, and actually exercising yeah. at lunchtime is a great way to counteract yeah. that natural lull and alertness that occurs.
occurs in the afternoon mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. finish your day, finish your day and go for another walk. And, and I, you know, even put that barrier more so in place, you know, um, have a shower, change into the comfy clothes, you know, yeah. bookend that day. And honestly, within within a few days, you'll, you really will free up uh, so much space uh, in your brain. And it's exactly what you said. Like your brain was full. It just, it just couldn't even, you know, it hadn't enough left to kind of even switch off to watch a TV show. That was right. too much processing um, for it. And the thing is the hippocampus, is a little seahorse-shaped part of the brain in the emotional brain. And essentially, it's a critical role in learning and memory, but essentially, um, it's a temporary repository for incoming information on a daily basis. So when you take information in... um, it kind of sits, I hate to say it sits there because you, you know yourself, you know, your brain is just electrical chemical signals. Um, right. But use, based- the, use the computer analogy. It's like a little RAM buffer. You're basically reading in the data before it gets stored in longer term, term oh, storage. Oh, thank you. Can I steal that? Can I use that? Absolutely. I don't really understand RAM, RAM buffer, but I like the way but, you've said yeah, it. I mean, That's a basically, brilliant way. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the place it sits before it goes into the long term storage place. That's where the Yeah, but, the, but yet the long term term storage isn't like a room right it's a network of patterns of electrical activity it's not a concrete thing it's like a storage array yeah yeah (laughs) that's it that's it um and Um, basically yeah unless that sleep is the only thing that kind of you know clears that out and and if you don't get enough if you don't get enough uh sleep you can't take in any new information the next day so um yeah and just to nerd out a tiny bit more, that's the the area where BDNF is the most active in my recollection when I was studying this stuff is in the CA3 layer of the hippocampus and allowing new neurons to generate there, which is one of the only, if not the only place that that happens in adults yep. where you get new neurons growing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we used to think that neurons, um, we, we, the the royal we of scientists. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I've read. (laughs) No, but um, yes, we used to think that, you know, um, well, first of all, you were kind of stuck with the brain you were born with, but that's not true. It's constantly changing and it's your behaviors and experiences that shape it. And learning is, you know, a brilliant way to shape your brain in a positive way. But um, uh, it is possible to grow new neurons. And as you said, in the hippocampus is a really important place to grow new neurons. And, and, And the thing is, with the hippocampus, it's particularly vulnerable to stress. Um, to the impact of of chronic stress, and and I want to stress to use to confuse things to use a word in another way. That <laughs> right. there is nothing wrong with stress. In fact, stress is essential for healthy living, and stress is essential for learning and reaching your goals. You know, when you're learning something new, it's stressful. You said you love doing this podcast. Uh, you know, because it's you know it, it it it's a challenge, and and you know it satisfies your ability to learn. And and but that still doesn't mean it's not stressful. You know, it's always no. stressful coming in no. on a podcast and go oh well I recorded what did I remember to, to record and what will I say and all those things what if my guest either doesn't say a thing or never shuts up <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's good you need that stress response to yeah. you know to be motivated to attain your goals as well as the fight or flight which we hear lots about so stress is only problematic when it's poorly managed and chronic or when we are 
understressed, understimulated is is as bad. You know, your brain can't afford to wait, waste energy on neurons that aren't being used. And so, um, you know, basically it'll prune them out through a process right. called ap- ap- apoptosis. And, and, you know, right. you really don't want a shrinking brain. Um, but with old LTD, right? Uh-huh, um. There you go. But with chronic <laughs> so, stress, just, just, yeah. just to say on the hippocampus, yeah. with chronic stress, um, neuroplasticity is suppressed in the hippocampus. So right. actually the hippocampus will start to shrink. And at the same time, it is increased in the amygdala. So um, essentially the amygdala gets Scary. bigger. The hippocampus gets smaller, but it's also with chronic stress, it's suppressed in your frontal lobes. And nor ordinarily, your frontal lobes will override um, an irrational stress response. But if you become chronically stressed, then actually the uh, reflexive, unthinking mm-hmm. amygdala gets to be in control. And so you just operate on this uh, in this unthinking, reflexive manner that feeds into all kinds of um, men- mental ill health and and yeah, that then knocks yeah. on to your physical health. Now I'll well, let you have I'll let you have a, a word in now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, you know I, I love this. This is great, and I, I really appreciate all of your insight. I had a couple thoughts that I was thinking about as we were talking again. Um, one was. In, in your book and in our discussion, a lot of the people that you're talking about, a lot of the stories that you have are of people who have exhibited what might, one might consider typically extraordinary mental acuity, like a, a very fast, the quick-witted person, the person who is you know, always the one who's on the ball, who gets things really quickly, that kind of thing. And I wonder if in your experience, you've seen that those are folks who are actually more prone to brain fog coming on in times of stress or even in the pandemic time than folks who maybe aren't usually, they don't usually have that identity in the same way, or they might have different characteristics. They might be more slow ruminating thinkers or that kind of thing. That's a really, really interesting question. And I always pull up, put my hand up when I actually, I don't have the answer. I don't know. It's really interesting. I look at it. Um, I think though, um, I think it's, and, and I think I do say it in my book, you know, it, it's relative to where you are rather than, and one, one of the big, the big issues mm-hmm. with scientific research when you're measuring things like cognitive function to see whether people have an impairment or might be, you know, uh, you know, on a trajectory, we'll say towards dementia or something like that, which is entirely different to brain fog. Um, you're usually just compared, paired with, you know, someone the average performance of someone in your age group. And so that's what I make it clear. Like it's, it's any difference that you might experience compared to your former self um, is, you know, is what's relevant. Um, But I I do think it's, um, it's a really interesting question. I think the thing is the factors that contribute to brain fog uh, more generally, obviously, brain fog more generally can be associated with underlying health conditions, and that's probably it's not it's not surprising that people with long COVID are experiencing brain fog because it's a common um, it's a common sequelae to any serious viral infection. People with sepsis, for example, will often experience brain fog for up to a year afterwards. You know, the brain has been under um, a huge amount of stress, and its priority has to be to save your life and pretty much all of its resources will go into saving your life. So it doesn't really matter that right. you remember where you left your keys when you're, uh, you know, 
when you're at risk of dying or whether you can use a, a lovely adjective uh, when you're in conversation. You know, um, relatively speaking, those things are not relevant until your body um, has has recovered. But rather interestingly, so we've mentioned already that sleep and stress are um, uh you know, are critical in terms of, you know, having good quality sleep, uh, a sufficient good quality sleep is critical for um, adequate brain function. If you have disrupted or impaired sleep, you will experience brain fog. Or if you have chronic stress, you'll experience brain fog. Now, the interesting thing is um, sleep and stress have a very, very close relationship. They um, impact on each other and they, you can end up in a really vicious cycle. You know, if you've poor sleep, you'll be more stressed during the day. If you've more stress, you'll have more disruption to your sleep. But what is interesting, um, uh, and that could speak in some way to the question that you just asked there is sleep, there's a thing called sleep reactivity, which Mm -hmm. actually describes how susceptible you are to sleep disturbances as a consequence of stress. Right. So some people have high levels of sleep reactivity. I would be one of those. So Me if too. I'm stressed, <laughs> my sleep is disrupted. My husband yeah. is quite the reverse. He The walls could be caught falling down around all oh, of us lucky. and he can sleep. So he has low stress reactivity. So those of us with high sl- stress reactivity, when we're stressed, we're more likely to have poorer sleep. So therefore, we're more likely to probably have brain fog. Um, right. People, there's some... There there is a genetic element to uh, your sleep reactivity. Women are more likely to have high sleep reactivity than men. And um, people with a family history of insomnia are more likely to have high uh, um, reactivity, a sleep reactivity. And then in turn, uh, you know, High sleep reactivity increases the likelihood that you'll go on to develop insomnia, and then insomnia increases the like the the likelihood that you will de- de- develop anxiety and depression. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, I think there could be some sort of trait factors that you know, in a way, that make you more susceptible. But it may be related to sort of secondary in a way. Do you know what I mean? That yes, you know, yes, that makes maybe sense. maybe overthinkers. Like I would, I would see right. myself as a you know, uh, I have to quiet. You know, you, you know, I, I, I have to do things. Uh, I follow my own advice, you know, but for years mm-hmm. I was a poor sleeper, you know, and that's because my, na- my brain never switches off. My, my, right. my, well, none of our brains ever switch off. Obviously they've worked to do, but <laughs> in did, terms of dead. the thinking, yeah, yeah, we'd be dead. But like that, like my husband loves, um, he loves input. I, I, th- I often think people mix up introverts and extroverts. So I'm very sociable, but I would say I'm an introvert in that I don't need a lot of external stimulation. There's enough happening in here between my two years. I don't need music blaring. I don't, you know, I don't need the TV right, on right. in the background. Uh, and so I would say that I'm sociable, but an introvert because I don't need external st- uh, um, stimulation. My husband, on the other hand, thrives. He's also sh- sociable. Um, I'm sociable, but I don't need that socialization. Do you know what I mean? I'm right, quite comfortable right. in my own space as well. My husband is both. He's very sociable, but he really needs other people. He really struggled during the pandemic because he wasn't working and he really, really missed yeah. that. That's essential for him. Whereas actually it didn't bother me that much because I'm I'm quite comfortable kind of away from people. But he also likes a lot of external stimulation. So he would have radios on, blaring all the rest of, you know, as any good marriage uh, knows, you know, <laughs> 
anyone knows who has a good marriage that's lasted a long time, marriage is about compromise and, and learning to kind of make things work for both of us. And he very kindly realized that having radio and television and noise blaring was doing me more harm than it was giving him pleasure, if you uh. understand. I just can't cope. It's just I get what, exactly what you just described at the start of the pandemic. If that stuff is going on, I just it feels like information overload for me. Right. You know, it's like, no, enough, enough, enough. I can't think if you have that radio on. And so we don't have a radio in the house or whatever. And there's no real music played or whatever, unless, mm-hmm. you know, we're both uh, relaxing. But when I do go out for a couple of hours, I'll come home and it's blaring all over the place. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I mean, it's different strokes for different folks. And and that's what I think when it comes to these things. It's a, It's about figuring out what works for you. But if people are experiencing brain fog, I would say, if you work on your sleep and make your sleep a priority, uh, you will have see incredible improvements. And that means it's, it's again about the routines, regularity, go to bed at the same time and get right. up at the same time every day. Exercise is brilliant for promoting sleep, but don't do it late in the evening time. Right. Uh, exposure to light is absolutely critical managing Mm -hmm. your exposure to light so the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning is to open your blinds or your shutters right you've got to get out in the daylight for at least a half an hour every day more if you can uh in the evening time electric light is not great you know in terms of fooling the brain so start to dim your lights from about 8 p.m use lamps around the house instead of high overhead lights Turn off the laptops, anything, any device emitting blue light, turn it off for about an hour before bed and sleep in a dark room. And if you do that and you get your sleep back on track, your brain will it'll, it'll, it'll see incredible improvement. That and, and reintroducing your regular routine will um, really help you beat uh, brain fog. Wow. I think that's, I, I can't thank you enough for being on the podcast and for that amazing summarization of how folks can help with this problem that we're we were discussing of pandemic related brain fog i think is it's an amazing sort of easy strategy to follow to really work through this thing that's affecting lots and lots of us and and you sharing your expertise in this area has been really wonderful i think we may end up asking you to be on again has <laughs> been great. I, uh, I think I could probably, we could probably keep talking for hour after hour. And um, unfortunately, I think we probably can't do that today, but I really appreciate you coming on. It's been great. It's been great to reconnect with you after yeah, all these it's lovely. years since we've talked to each other. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been about 10 years. Thanks so much for having me on. Um, uh, yeah, I love to talk. Have me on again sometime. It's fine. <laughs> but Thank yes, you. I, I, I do. Enjoy, enjoy the rest of your, your day. You too.